Good morning. You got your Bibles. Go to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for this day. Just you being God. Help us to focus on you, God, to learn more of you, to draw closer to you, Father God. Teach us something about who you are and how we can love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Leviticus chapter 11 is where we're going to pick up from. Before we do, just rewind and flashback. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and life in the Holy Spirit. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit help us obey the commands of God. That everything God commands us to do is because of who we are. And since we have the Holy Spirit in us, he can express that through us. So the Holy Spirit living in us gives us the right, the power, the might to do the things that God calls us to do. Stuff that we cannot do on our own apart from God. And we're going to continue that theme today. And this is one a little more, some consider to be a little more deep. What we're talking about begin to transition into purpose and meaning and value as human beings. It's one of the big questions of our day. What does it mean to be human? What is my purpose? What is my true worth and my value, my dignity as a human being? And as we talk about this, it's going to transition into what we're going to be talking about going forward. But that great question of value, of meaning, why am I here on earth? All of these things are are things that perplex us as human beings. It's stuff that we wrestle over when we have times and moments where we reflect. All of us want to be worth something. All of us want value. All of us want to be special, to have some type of impact, importance on this planet and on this earth. But we cannot truly understand that unless we truly understand our relationship to God. Because our value is dependent upon our relationship to Him. And we can understand this if we think about natural things. The value of some things increases or decreases based on who owns it, who possesses in its relationship to certain things. Like something as simple as a jacket. You get a leather jacket from the 80s. Most of us would say that ain't worth too much or nothing. Like who going to spend a whole lot of money on a jacket? But if I tell you that there's a leather, leather jacket you can buy for a couple million dollars. You look at me like I'm a fool. But the reason you can only get this jacket for a couple million dollars is because it belongs to Michael Jackson. <laughs> and so since Michael Jackson wore the jacket, that immediately skews the value of it. And now you in your mind, not seeing how a jacket from the 80s with a whole bunch of little zippers on it <laughs> could be worth anything. Now you can understand how it could be worth a couple million dollars like Michael Jackson wore. So just because it touched the body of Michael Jackson, that immediately brings the value of it up. Stupid, but it's life. And that showed you how value is dependent upon relation. Like I saw this thing, they had a lighter. I probably told you about it before. It always amazes me. Dude bought a lighter for a couple hundred thousand dollars. A lighter. And the reason he paid so much for it is because they proved that it was Elvis Presley's lighter. Just a regular old lighter that you can get out the little corner store somewhere. But he was willing to pay hundreds of thousand dollars for it because it belonged to Elvis Presley. So value moves or can be changed according to relationship. And that being connected to the right thing, the right person at the right time can greatly increase the value of something. Y'all getting what I'm saying? But the greatest of them all is our God and creator, the maker of heavens and earth. And it's his goal, his desire to be connected to you. So if the Bible is true and all that we sing hold to and believe to is true, 
God desires to dwell and be with you was dramatically skews your value. Because if Michael Jackson can make a jacket worth millions of dollars, no matter how ugly it is, what can God do to you just by mere presence? Just by being connected to you? Just by you being able to get close to him, how does that increase your value? But more than increase your value, it is your destiny as a human being. We were made to be with God. We were made to know him, to walk with him, to fellowship him with him. Anything less than that, we are not living as human beings because that's the central of our purpose. That's why we think. That's why we communicate. That's why we are relational beings because we were made for relationship. And the greatest relationship that we can have is a relationship with God the Father. But when we were talking about God, we talked about this attribute of God that comes into play when it comes to this relationship. We said that God is holy. And now we're talking about the spirit of God. And the adjective that most comes before the spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. So holiness is an aspect of who God is. And that aspect changes the nature of the relationship that we have in him. Go in the book of Leviticus. Just going to run this little trail real quick. Leviticus chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 44. I'm going to start with verse 43. So you shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them, that you should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God, and you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you divide yourselves, defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So this is God's command to the children of Israel. Like you do not defile yourselves, you do not make yourselves abominable. And the reason he put it in 44, said, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourself. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And the picture that he's pointing to is, because of who I am, you cannot be a certain way. So since I'm holy and I'm your God, you must be holy. Go to Leviticus chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 2. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. Says, speak unto all the congregation of Israel and say unto them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So because of who God is, they have to be holy. This is the command. Go to first Peter. First Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. Verse 13. It reads, said, wherefore, guard up the lines of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So since God, it says, Guard up the lawns of your mind. So prepare your mind. Get your mind together. Get it right. And you hope to the end for the grace that is to be revealed. So there's coming a grace. There's coming a day where Jesus has come back. And what Peter is saying, you need to get your mind right. Get ready. Be prepared for this day. Just like obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust. What he means by that is just like children must obey their parents and go the way of their parents. You should live your life or direct your life, not according to your former lust. So there's a pattern of life that is innate to a human being. And that pattern of life is sinfulness. That pattern of life is evil. That pattern of life is selfishness. This is the pattern of life that we are born into. This is the pattern of life that we live by default. If you just let a child be a child, he's going to grow up to be a fool and a heathen. Because rebellion is in the heart of us. Wickedness is in our hearts. So what he's saying is you don't go or live according to your former lust. So if you call upon the name of Jesus, if you're waiting for the hope to come, 
The life that you live now should be different from the life that you live before you called upon his name. Because you cannot live according to your former lust and still be looking for the hope to come. The two does not mix. So in Peter's eyes, there's a change when it comes to being holy. There's a switch from your lust, from your life, to being like God and obeying him. But in this switch, I want you to see the dichotomy or, or, or the position that he put us in. We're stuck between two. He said, as obedient children, children obey those who are above them, not according to your former lust. So you're either following God or you're following the lust and dictates of your heart. There is no neutral position. There is no state, no time where we just just in between. But that shows you also that holiness has something to do with allegiance. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Because either you're following God, you're going after him, you're doing what he told you to do, or you are following your lust, obeying them, doing what they tell you to do. There is no neutral ground. So holiness has something to do with allegiance. It's not purely just about actions, though actions are a part of it. But the reason actions are a part of it is because we're either obeying God or we're obeying ourselves in the foolishness of this world. There is no middle ground. But the, the mandate, we must be holy. And you cannot be holy living according to yourself. Self must die. Self must be separated from and we must wholly go after God. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So there's no such thing as a lying Christian. Does not exist. Either you're a liar or you're a Christian. You can't be both of them. Because lying is an expression of our evil heart. It's expression of the lust and the desires of our flesh. And if we're living for God as obedient children, we're not walking according to our former lust. There should be no sanctified sweet daddies, sneaking deacons, <laughs> Pentecostal pimps. None of those things should exist. <laughs> That's just a reality because you cannot live according to your lust and be obeying God. The two does not mix. So a lust-filled Christian, sexist saints, none of that stuff exists. You either one or the other. I don't care what they tell you on the TV. I don't care how many conferences they put on and so on and so forth. Following God is disobeying the lusts of your heart. And holiness requires that you do so. You cannot follow God and follow you at the same time because you're going in different directions. But we are called to be holy. So a part of holiness is devotion, it's obedience. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians four. We'll start read that. Verse two. Said, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you shall abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond or defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So this is Paul giving the commands to the people. Said, this is the will of God for you. You want to know God's plan, God's goal, the big thing he has for your life. Say, even your sanctification. 
So the will of God for our lives, the thing that God desires for us, the, the destiny that he got marked out for us is for us to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy, to be different, to be other than this world. And he's saying every man should know how to possess his vessel in honor and in holiness. So Paul is repeating the same thing. There is no such thing as a lust-filled Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian that sleeps around. There is no such thing as a Christian that be tipping and dipping and so on and so forth. You cannot be both. If the lust and the dishonoring of your vessel and the use of your vessel, not using it in a way that is consistent with the nature and the purposes of God, is the way that you live your life, you are not living the will of God for your life. Because this is God's will for you, even your sanctification. Then it gets a little bit deeper. And he said, no man should defraud another one. So God has this idea that our holiness has something to do with how we carry ourselves and how we relate to those who we call our brother. So I can't mistreat Jay, cheat him, get over on him, and stand and say I'm a man of God. I can't lie on my taxes and smudge all this type of stuff and stand and say I'm the man of God. Can't go over there to the little folks on Virginia Loop Road and let them hook me up so that I can borrow about 10 children so I can get a big income tax check and still walk around and say I'm a Christian. Because I'm defrauding if I do that. But a Christian don't defraud one another. So the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we use our bodies, and the way that we relate to one another has something to do with our holiness. Because holiness is a matter of devotion. Holiness is a matter of dedication. And holiness is dependent upon our relationship to God. God ain't a cheat. God ain't a liar. God ain't a fraud. So if we connected to him, we cannot be. And the command is for us to be holy. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, follow peace with all men in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So we live our lives in pursuit of peace with everybody. So there's no hatred. There's no enmity between us and any people on the planet. And he said you follow after holiness because without holiness, no man shall see God. But some would say, I believe in John 3.16 that I repeat after the preacher. I said that prayer, I raised my hand, walked down that aisle. You go to some churches, I sat in them two chairs up front, got dipped in that pool, whatever form you went through it. And the preacher told me, because I said this prayer, because I got dipped in that pool, I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm going to forever be with God and can't nothing change that. If the preacher told you that, the preacher lied. Because a life void of heaven, holiness is a life void of heaven. No holiness, no heaven. No sanctification, you will not see the Father. That's what he said, pursue peace and holiness without which no man shall see God. So the only way that we can go through them pearly gates, as they say, the only way we can live in the presence of God, the only way we can experience eternity of peace and bliss and joy with the Father is for us to be holy. If you do not have that, you have no hope of heaven. You have no hope of glory. You have no hope of life beyond this grave but death and torment. Because holiness is the only thing that qualifies us for a relationship with God. And I said that value changes based on position and relationship. But there's a standard when you're connecting and when you're relating with people. Can't anybody come to you and be with you 
according to their own desires. That we as human beings, we have certain principles, we have certain desires, certain likes and dislikes that we kick it with. And the people who are around us are some reflection of some of those things. That can't nobody just come up to you and make up a relationship with you and say, that's my partner, that's my cool, we down. It doesn't work like that. Because based on who they are and what they do, some folks you cut off. You understand what I'm saying? It's because you have standards. And it works the same with God. God is a person. So we can't conceive in our mind our own desires, our own principles, our own way of relating to him. You can't say it. You know what I'm saying? I got a relationship with God. Me and God got my own thing. You know what I'm saying? And you, you can't judge, Michael. This is a personal thing. If it's just personal with you, that means it's a lie. Because it takes two people to relate. So you can't make up all the rules for the relationship and demand that the other person be in relationship with you. It don't work like that in any other way, in any other context. You understand what I'm saying? I can't say, Chelsea gonna be my friend. You ain't got no choice but to be my friend, cause I said you my friend, and we gonna go down, and we gonna smoke crack, <laughs> and we gonna have a good time. She gonna look at me like I'm a fool. <laughs> because I can't make her my friend, and I can't make her be cool with me smoking crack, and demand that she gonna do it too. No matter how hard I believe it in my heart, because she's a real person. She got her own will, her own desires, and her own standards. And if I don't connect with them, she won't connect with me. But somehow we understand that in human relationships. But when we talk about God, we get to make up all the rules. We tell God what he like, what he don't like, what he cool with, what I'm going to do with my life, what can't nobody tell us about, and all that. And we say we with God and we got a relationship and we going to heaven. Like, who told you? You didn't get it from God. You can't make up your own relationship with God. You can't make up the rules for how God relates to people. And people just do crazy stuff. Some don't go their way or some they won't. They pray, they pray, they pray. They ain't talk to God since they don't know when. Then be mad when what they praying for because they were being foolish don't happen. They say, I don't believe in God no more. God left me in jail. I prayed when I was going for the, I was going for the judge. I prayed to God, God, please get me out of this one. Some of them had tickets out there for 10 years. <laughs> All type of warrants on them. <laughs> Everything going on. Still ride with no license. Got weed in the car and a Corona sitting right there. <laughs> and the folk done pulled them over. And now they praying. Oh, geez, don't let me go to jail. I know I'm supposed to go and pay them tickets. <laughs> And then when the folk put them in the county <laughs> and give them that town, man, I don't believe God no more. Don't come to me that God stuff. I said, well, how you get to tell God what he's supposed to do? Because you did whatever you wanted to do all that time when he was calling you. All that time when mama was praying for you, when mama telling you you need to quit, you need to stop, you need to go get your license, go get your tag fixed. Stop going down to Second Chance Auto Sales and getting them car with no <laughs> with no ID. Mama tried to told you, but you wouldn't listen. Now you're locked up and you're mad at God because you say he wouldn't listen. And you think that you control this thing, you create this whole relationship. No, that ain't the way it works. You must relate to God on God's terms. And his terms is no holiness, no heaven. So holiness is integral for us to understand if we want to understand how we get to be with God. Because that's the only way we make it. And the first aspect we're going to focus on today is that holiness is a, an expression of relationship. Holiness is an expression of relationship. Go to Exodus chapter 3. Watch this. It's going to seem very mundane, but it's very important. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. Verse 3. 
Let's start at verse 2. Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 2. So the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, and when the and why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the Lord thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So this is a scene where God appears to Moses on the mountain out of the midst of the bush. But the thing I want to put on is verse 5. It says, And he said unto him, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, this is a mountain. A mountain that Moses had been walking around for we don't know how many years. He's just been walking around this mountain. He lived out there for at least 40 years. So we don't know how many times he went up and down this road. Just a regular piece of dirt. But God came down in the midst of this regular piece of dirt, a rock. And God's presence on that rock made it so that Moses just couldn't walk up and down that rock how he wanted to. He said, oh, hold on. When he saw that Moses turn and was about to approach, he had to stop him. Like, don't come over here. Why? Because the place where you're standing is holy ground. What made the ground holy? It's just a regular piece of rock, a regular piece of mountain. And Moses couldn't walk on it. He had to change how he was in order to enter close to it just because God was there. So the presence of God in the midst of the rock altered the rock to be in a place of holiness. That, that became a sanctuary. That became a place that regular people could not go. And to the point where God had to hurry up and hold on, Moses. Don't walk over here. Just because God was there. So the relationship between the rock and the God elevated the rock to the status of it was almost equal to being in the presence of God. Just like couldn't nobody walk in the holiest of holies when they made the temple because that's where the presence of God was. Moses couldn't just walk on that piece of dirt or rock because God was there. So it altered the state of the rock to a place of holiness which requires transformation just by him being there. A piece of dirt transformed by the presence of God. Y'all get the picture. A piece of dirt transformed by the presence of God. We are nothing but dust crafted by the hands of God. But once you lift up your voice and you cry out to God for mercy and you ask him to come inside of you, you are filled with the spirit of God. The Holy Ghost, the Holy One of Israel comes to live inside of you. In the same presence that transformed that piece of dirt can transform your piece of dirt. And alter everything about you. Because Moses couldn't walk on dirt because God was there. In Joshua chapter 5, you get the same scene. That the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, who we believe to be the very presence of God or expression of God himself, came to talk to Joshua. Joshua looks up and see him. And he had to tell him, hold up, Joshua, take off your shoes because the place where you stand is holy ground. Joshua had been walking and pacing around there all night trying to get a game plan of how they're going to take the city of Jericho. But all of a sudden he can't walk there no more. Because God's presence was there. The presence of God takes a piece of dirt, elevates it, and transforms it to a holy thing. But also the picture of this holy thing is that they could only go to it if they were in compliance with the command and the voice of God. They had to change. You understanding what I'm saying? So let's say, if you believe in Jesus... The spirit of God dwells inside of you, which means you are automatically transformed into a holy thing. 
but that also means common things have to change when they come around you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I don't think you get the picture. Go to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. I say, I, li- I like this little chapter. Y'all going to read this one a lot. Just these little couple of verses. I'm going to start at verse 34. Nope. Let's start at 22. Let's go and read it. We'll take it to the house with this one. It said, More of the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, five hundred shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even two hundred and fifty shekels, and of sweet calamus, two hundred and fifty shekels, and of cassia, five hundred shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hem. And thou shalt make it an oil of holy anointing, an ointment compounded after the art of the apothecary. It shall be holy anointing oil, and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all his vessels, and the candlestick and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all his vessels, and the labor in his foot, and thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever touched them shall be holy, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing all unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it, after the composition of it. It is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever there, whosoever compounded any like it, and whosoever put it on any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. So this is this Noah anointing oil that God was commanding them to make. And he said, this oil is holy. Now you pay attention to it when he was telling them how to make it. Everything that he told them to use is stuff that you can go and buy at Walmart. Just regular old spices, stuff that you can grow in your own backyard. Ain't nothing special about this. There's one that floated down from heaven. It's like some new, it's just regular old stuff. Regular spices. But God put his blessing upon it, and that transformed it to, he said, a holy anointing oil. Then he said, everything that you anoint with this oil becomes holy unto me. So they get to take a regular little table, pour this oil on it, and now can't nobody touch this table because it's God's table. And it can only be used for God's use. Just because Aaron put a little piece of oil on it that was made of regular stuff that you can just pull up out of the dirt. You understand what I'm saying? Then he goes even deeper. This oil is holy to the Lord. So you don't try to mimic this oil and you don't use it for strangers. You understand what I'm saying? So God's understanding of holiness is separation for his purposes and his purposes alone. They can take this regular perfume, stuff made out of regular spices that you can just pull up out the regular ground, or you can buy it out of regular grocery store. They couldn't take it and put it on for themselves to go out. He said, if you do so, if you make some like it, or if you use this for your own personal use, you put it on a stranger, you're going to be separated. You're going to be cut off. Because God's definition of holiness is devotion for his own uses and his own purposes. You understand what I'm saying? And if you read now, he get to talk about some perfume. Talk about anointed oil and perfume. Just read here. Verse 37. Say, as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. Same principle. Now that seems a bit deep. Like why God gets so deep about some perfume that's made out of regular stuff that you could just pull out the ground. He told him, go get these spices, crush it up, make a perfume out of it, and don't nobody else just try to make it. And you better not use it for any other thing but holy anointing and in the temple. You, you, you get what I'm saying? That's because God understanding of holiness is devotion and separation for his purposes and his use. So now if he puts his spirit upon us and that makes us holy, what does that say about us? 
This is what the application become. And this is what we're going to spring forward from. If we are holy. And God has made us such. That means our life should be used for God's purposes in God's way in that way alone. We cannot take the giftings that he give us. We cannot take the, the abilities that he put within us as his holy anointing works within us and use them for mundane purposes in the sense of fulfilling our own desires. And we can't pollute them by taking them out of the context of relationship with God. And one of the greatest gifts he gave us is life itself. God breathed within us the breath of life and we became living souls, living beings. The breath that you breathe, you're getting up and laying down every single day is a gift from God. And if you're holy unto God, you're supposed to take this most precious gift and use it and use it for God alone. If you're not using the breath you have, the body you've been given, the heartbeats that God continually to give you for him, his purposes, and his use alone, according to the Exodus and according to Hebrews, you shall be cut off. Because that's the reason that he gave it to you. Holiness in the eyes of God begins with dedication to God, begins with being sanctified and set apart for God's and God's use alone. You understanding what I'm saying? So if you wear a long skirt down to your ankles and you don't wear red lipstick and put tassels on your shoes, but you live for yourself, you follow your own passions, you angry, you mean, you ain't holy. You understand what I'm saying? Because it ain't about what the shells you put on. It ain't about what rules and traditions you can conform yourself to. Everybody can play a dance. Even the most unrhythmic person, if you sit there with him long enough, he'll learn how to let you slide. It don't take much. Especially when everybody doing it. You do it long enough, like I said, a person with the worst rhythm in the world can learn how to electric slide. Does that mean he know how to dance? No. And the most churched person on the world, even the most heathen person of the world can learn some rules and conform themselves to certain patterns and certain dictates and certain traditions of a church and a tradition. That don't mean nothing. Don't mean a thing. Just because you can learn how to substitute cuss words don't mean your heart ain't filled with Jesse Muck cussing as Samuel Jackson. Because everybody can conform. But God does not call us to conform to a tradition, to a rule, to a standard. God calls us to a place where we're devoted to him. And if the most of what you do is based on how you feel and what you want in life, you ain't holy. If the way you raise your kids, the way you treat your kids, it based off how you feel, what you want in life, you ain't holy. Because the foundation of holiness is dedication to the standards and purposes of God. You can't take what that which God has dedicated it to itself and use it for some other purpose other than that, that which he gave it to us for. And like I said, if he'll be so serious about some perfume, how serious you think he take your life? If he can be that serious about some anointing oil that they're going to pour on tables and pour on, on little labels and basins, how serious you think he is about your life? All of your body, everything that belongs to you, is that it should be dedicated to him. The thoughts you think. The desires of your heart, your passions shall all live in submission to his greater purposes. And if they're not in submission to his greater purposes, you ain't holy. And if you ain't holy, you don't go to heaven. So please don't let nobody trick you. And think that just because you can get in a line 
with some tradition. Just because you can repeat after a preacher and say this magical prayer in obedience to this man, just because you got dunked in that pool, just because any other thing, you sign a card, you got your name written in the back of your Bible, I dedicated myself to the Lord, that don't mean nothing. Unless your heart has been truly yielded to God in wholehearted passion for him. Unless you're willing to say, God, I don't care what it takes, what it means, what it do, what I got to lose, what I got to give up. Use my life according to your will, according to your purposes. I don't care what it costs me. That's holiness. And that's the groundswell of entering into the presence of God. That's why Jesus said, if anybody want to first follow me, the first thing you must do is deny yourself. Because holiness is dedication. Holiness is allegiance to Jesus. Which means, lastly, that we have to watch who we connect ourselves to. Because Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's like, how can you take that which is holy and connect it with Belial? And the point where he was making is, I cannot be in agreement with everything and everybody and I do not enter into covenant and personal relationship with everything and everybody. I don't make devotions to everything and everybody. So as we grow and as we develop and as we live, we need to examine who it is that we network with, what it is that we devote ourselves to, what it is that we have pledged ourselves to. Because we can only pledge our allegiance to Jesus. So if you're around making pledges and making oaths and making covenants and all this type of other stuff with other stuff that ain't got nothing to do with God and got nothing to do with Jesus, you need to watch yourself. Because holiness is in the eyes of God. It's devotion. And I can't be fully devoted to God and fully devoted to his contrary. So everything that I devote myself with should be out of obedience and connection and me serving the ultimate king and that is Jesus himself. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So we have intricate value because of who we connected to. We are created in the image of God that gives us our worth, that gives us our meaning, that's our purpose on this planet. But that purpose is connected, uh, dependent upon our level of holiness because God is a holy God. Therefore, if we're not holy, we cannot be in the presence of God. But we must understand and believe that once God enter into us, his very presence in us changes us and makes us holy. Which means his very presence in us to change who I align myself with, who I devote myself to, and how it is I use my time, my money, my resources, my body, because it all belongs to Jesus. You understanding what I'm saying? But the foundation of this is the Spirit of God can make you whole. So what seven steps you need to take? One, call on Jesus and allow him to fill you with, your, with his Holy Spirit. And the very presence of God in you transforms you. And if you don't see transformation, you ain't holy. If you don't see transformation, God ain't in you. Because the presence of God can touch dirt and make it into something great. And that's all we are. Dirt, dust. But we can be transformed if we allow God to be God within us. Anybody got any questions? Did Adam, God, or other people name the planet? Mm-hmm. The planet. The planets. The name that we use, we got it from other people. You said Adam, God, or other people. What are the names that we use? The names that we use. So when we say Saturn and Venus and all so on and so forth, we got them for other so people. So God use different names? I don't know. What is devoted mean? Hmm? To be devoted. To be devoted means you dedicate, you're dedicated to something with everything that's in you. So you, you, it's almost like a ceremonial word where you pledge allegiance to or you sanctify, you separate yourself for this purpose and this use. So like, uh, right now Jezreel is devoted, supposed to be to using the camera. That means all of his attention is supposed to be on properly operating the camera. That's devoted. Is it a bad to pledge allegiance to the flag? Like, 
Is it bad to pledge allegiance to the flag? Now you finna get me in trouble with America. (laughs) I would say it's bad to pledge allegiance to anything but Jesus and things that serve the purposes and the mission of Jesus. So if that flag serves the purpose and missions of Jesus, then it's all right. (laughs) Is it a sin to have an enemy? Is it a sin to have an enemy? Depends on what you mean by having an enemy. Some people are going to hate you, and that's just life because people are evil. But you should hate nobody. So if you got an enemy in the sense that you got somebody that hates you and wants you to do wrong, ain't nothing wrong with that. That's just life. But if you got an enemy because it's somebody you hate and want to see wrong done to, that's wrong. What happens if you do not get baptized? What happens if you do not get baptized? It depends on why you don't get baptized. Baptism is a right that God left us in obedience to his command. So baptism doesn't save you. That Just because you go in the water, that does not mean you are a Christian. But all Christians who are allowed to live and have access to water will be baptized because that's what Jesus left for us to do. Should I get baptized? If you believe in Jesus, you should get baptized. How is God a person? How is God a person? Girl, where was you a couple of Sundays ago? Hi, you said something about personality. Yes. Do you say that your personality is a person? Yes, personality is the expression of personhood. A person is an a individual that has a mind, will, intellect, and emotions that can express themselves and make decisions independent of just pure innate desire. What I mean by that is just natural stuff. Like an animal lives purely off instinct. That when you see a birdhouse, you see one in Montgomery, you see one in New York, you see one in New Zealand. If it's the same type of bird, it's going to be the same type of house because there's no expression. There's no personal expression. There's no individuality. They make their houses because of how they're created. But we have the ability to express personal desires, personal influxes, personal influence. So when you see a human house, they can all look different because we have personality, individuality. We're not purely instinct. You get what I'm saying? So that's why it's wrong for us just to live solely off emotions because we're greater than that. That's what animals do. If you get your hair done to look good and not to honor God, is that sin? Like if, if you, you get, get a job for money. If you get your hair done to look good and not to honor God, or you get a job for money? Very good question. Now, hair done to look good and out for God goes to motives and, and, and a whole deeper issue because it depends on what you mean by that. If you do it purely over the top for the sake of drawing all attention to yourself because you want to be the center of the world, that's not good. But just because you don't want your head to be nappy, that's good. Because bad hair can be just as much a distraction as as extravagant hair, if you understand what I'm saying. So somebody with their head with patches all in, toe all up, can be just as much a distraction as somebody that that get the big old hair style, hair show styles with all type of gold and all that type of stuff in it. So you get your house so you can be decent, you can be nice, you can eat, and you're not a distraction, you're not an issue. You don't want to make you, in the way you look, an issue. You understand what I'm saying? Because you want the greatest thing to be known about you is the type of person you are. Because the way you look going to change. Because you're 10 now, one day you're going to be 40. And you're going to look different. And if God tears and he bless you with life, one day you might be 90. And you're going to look a whole lot different. So if all that is great about you is the way that you outwardly look, that means ain't nothing great about you because that's going to change. So you don't want the way that you look to be the center of attention about you. You get what I'm saying? But to get a job for money, there's nothing wrong with that. 
because God demands us and requires us to take care of the poor, widows, orphans in our family. They say a man that don't take care of his own household is worse than an infidel. Infidel is an unbeliever. So if you got a lazy man, a sorry man that's not willing to take care of his family, in the eyes of God, that ain't a man. So you work, you earn money, but it's for the purposes of fulfilling the things that God wants us to have done on this planet, not just for the sake of having money, just to say we got money. Why didn't Moses have to take his take off his shoes in Exodus 3 5? Because he had to change his appearance because you can't walk in the presence of God coming. So like if you read in Exodus when the priests had to go into the temple, they had to take special bath, they had special clothes they had to wear because they couldn't just walk in there regular in the presence of God because the presence of God is a special thing and takes transformation. Regularness can't be in the presence of God. Like this, take your shoes off. That's an act of change and an act of humility and transformation. You said we are dirty, so how do we have organs? Organs and skin and all that other stuff because we that's the miracle of God being God that He can take regular dirt and make something that does not look, feel like dirt. And out of that same thing to make a whole bunch of different things inside of your body that's made from the same things that look completely different and feel completely different. Why was Mary chosen to be Jesus' mother? Because God chose her. I have no idea. What are shekels? Shekels, that was a weight in a way that they exchanged and bought goods. We got pounds and ounces and so on and so forth. They had shekels. So it was like money? Yes. What if you didn't have enough money to make the holy oil? They didn't have to have enough money because God wanted the holy oil made. So he the one that provided it for it to be made. So he gave them money? Yeah, he gave them what they need. When they left Egypt, he told them to borrow from the Egyptians. And they left the rich. They grew up slaves and left rich. But they had to borrow money. So yeah. how did they pay it back? No, they won that type of bar. God was... I was trying to see the word for it. I guess the technical word would be spoiling. Because in an act of war, the stronger go in and take from the lesser. And God went in and took from the Egyptians. So in America, we would say that were reparations. <laughs> Okay, I think he did. What if you don't like school? What if you don't like school? Since you live in America and they require that you go, you're going to have a hard 18 years. <laughs> That's it? No, one more. Okay. How do we know if people are following God? How do we know what? If people if they're acting and doing the stuff that he commands and tells them to do. So you watch the way they live, then you can see whether or not they're following God. That's it. Okay. Got one more. And when it says um, in Exodus that they'll be cut off from their people, that's just like excommunicating? Yes. Okay. So... The ideal is there are certain sins that got them stoned and there are other sins that separated them from the camp. So they couldn't be a part of the commonwealth of Israel. So that's what it means by they're going to be cut off. That's it. All right. They're all yours.